Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two of friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McCoy, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, everyone! Uh, I mean, I say that, we're, we're recording on the 6th of January, and this is going to go out on, I think, the 13th of January. And, and actually, I'm wondering at what point we can stop talking about when we can stop talking about when we can say Happy New Year to people. Um... I don't know. It, it feels like maybe maybe we're reaching that point, but I haven't seen you for, for nearly a month. I we might be approaching it. So, no, I know it's weird. I was just before we started recording. I said it, it feels like it's been ages since we've done this, and the reason for that is it's it is. been ages since we've done this. Yeah. So you know, a month has passed, including you know those bright shiny lights of, of Christmas. Have you have you done anything Beatlesy in the Christmas period? Uh, not specifically over the uh, Christmas period, but since we last recorded, I have been to see uh, the Bootleg Beatles, which was great. That was um, a really fantastic uh, gig. It it sounds so easy to be cynical about it, and that's fair enough, I think, because you know, um, I don't know. I didn't really, don't really know what my expectations going in were, but it was terrific. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Any any cynicism was swept aside, and and it was a fantastic. Uh, Fantastic gig all right. What about yourself? Have you been been beetling well, it up? Before we go into that, I think it's um um it's probably David Hepworth who who likes to remind people about the fact that the bootleg Beatles have been going um, you know, so much longer than the actual Beatles ever ever did as well. So, you know, they are um, you know, much more of an organic entity. It's it's, it's quite a, a fascinating thing uh for that. Um I, I once at one point I'd I'd like to go see the analogues. Um, but when they do tour the UK, the tickets are really expensive. But that's a subject for another time. Um, in terms of of Beatles stuff, not not really. Um, other than um, coming back from America at Christmas with some um, Beatlesy related records, um, including including the um, I think it was it came out must have come out about three years ago now the fiftieth anniversary box set which. I got for Christmas from from um, father-in-law of All Things Must Pass. And I have just been reminded how bloody good it is. Um, just, mm. and, and I think it's, it's when, when I see people on, on the twits, you know, talking about some of the songs on Beatles for Sale, about how they're their favourite songs, I think, okay, that's great. Um, you know, perhaps that's an affectation, though, because... You just have to listen to um, most of All Things Must Pass and, and you just hear the difference in quality as well. When people talk about, um, if you want to go back even even earlier, about, oh yeah, don't bother me, it's one of George's best. You think, well, really, let's sit down and discuss Wawa, please, <laughs> if you don't mind. Um, I, I just sort of think, really, have you been listening? But then, as I say, people are allowed to make their own brackets wrong um wrong choices i've also back the the, the father-in-law used to collect records he's, he's getting rid of some of them now so i have brought back some of the the beatles american albums four of the official capital albums um but having bought a fairly i mean we've only got back into vinyl in the last year or so and in doing so uh, we only bought a relatively cheap turntable which is now broken so we've not been able to to play that yet but we'll get that sorted yeah which is fine um we did go to before we went to america we did go to amsterdam and i looked up loads of the, the, the there aren't that many beatles links when it comes to to the netherlands they only played a couple of smallish shows there in a town that's 
quite removed from from Amsterdam. And of course, it wasn't then um, until I came back and I was listening to something that I was reminded of the fact that what I could have done is booked into a particular hotel. I can't even remember which one now in Amsterdam, and 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 perhaps stood outside the door where John and Yoko had their their bed in. But you know, what can I say? That that would be the Amsterdam Hilton, and honestly, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's not even in the city centre, so you're not really missing much by having gone out to do that. So don't worry. I think it's worth pointing out that um, the highlight of our trip. To, I, I do love going to the Netherlands, actually, but I think the highlight of that trip, which sounds a bit dodgy, because it was watching Wonka in the basement of an Amsterdam hotel. Um, now you know <laughs> that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no. I think we would just leave <laughs> that as a statement there, other than to say. Um, a little bit of kudos, please, to Neil Hannon of the Divine Comedy uh, for some really good songs in there. And that then led me to go back to, in particular, the Bangos The Knighthood album. And if you listen to that, you can just hear how perfectly he fits writing songs for, you know, musicals of any form. Because the song itself, Bangos The Knighthood, is all about character and narrative in a way that is often overlooked in in um, uh, songwriting. Um, and at that point, I could make a link to say, you know, Maxwell's Silver Hammer. But you know what? I'm not going to because we're not that kind of, of podcast. Um, yeah. You could you could make a link to Honey Don't, which is technically okay. character-based. Oh, you're, you're maybe? trying to make a link to today's episode. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, we are five minutes in. We probably should talk about it at some point. But yeah, I mean, um, yeah, but, but please carry on rambling. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I mean, all I was going to say um, was, of, of course, I did look up how much a copy of, of All Things Must Pass would actually cost new. And blimey, vinyl is expensive. I think I've probably said this before. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Well, as you know, I've been into vinyl for a few years now, and so I've 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 overly invested in in too much hi-fi equipment and all that kind of stuff. Um, um, yeah, it's 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 not a cheap hobby to have. I do love it. I find it extremely satisfying. I do enjoy being able to listen to music in that way. But um, yeah, it's not an inexpensive hobby. No, and and I, I think I've got to the point with it as well because it is so expensive that I I these days perhaps less when I was a teenager. I just don't understand people who are completists. Um, and, you know, worth mentioning that not that far down the line, there is a McCartney 3 um, box set special edition that's come out. And and I think, well, okay, well, just because it's been released, you don't have to buy it. Um, and well done to those, um, those, you know, Beatles podcasts I've been listening to who've been saying, not going to buy it, not interested. Um, you know, it's there's nothing there that makes a difference and for me that actually applies to some of the um you know the solo box sets um as well i, I don't I, I don't get it you know it's it, it's fine if you if you want to if you want to go and 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 spend your money on that if that's how how it works for you uh that's great i think there's there's plenty of other ways to experience it it's like going to see the bootleg beatles for example that um are you know where you're, you're in the moment, you're having fun, it's nice and enjoyable. You might then go and listen to some tracks you've already got afterwards. But, you know, I think good luck to all those people who are in a position to be able to afford to buy all of the records by all of the artists. Good luck, folks. Yeah, I, I'm not sure the world is really ready for a back-to-the-egg box set, <laughs> however however wealthy you are. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> 
leave that one there for the time being. All right, come on, let's let's drag it round to the song. Let's talk about okay. Honey Don't. That's what we're here for. That's what we okay. need to do. That's what we should do. Sure. Okay. Um, can I do a tug of war reference? Yeah, always. Okay, tug of war klaxon. Um, Honey Don't. It kind of reminds me of the rhythm, but not the tempo of Gotta Get It. I, I think there's the same kind of bouncy feel to it that, that sort of permeates uh, through it. Yeah, it's got that rockabilly bounce. Yeah, that's that's uh, fair. Which is which is quite interesting. Um, I mean, I think that's probably the most significant thing um, I'm, I'm going to be able to to conjure up to this nice but fairly superfluous piece of um, piece of star singing. I'm going to use a word here that I'm not sure I've really ever used to describe any of the songs that we've covered thus Are you far. Sure? I'm not I'm not certain. It's it's <laughs> it's definitely not gonna fall into like JG Bingo or anything like that. It's not that, it's, no, no. It's, so it's it's not French. It's then. not French. It's not. It's it's, okay. it's definitely an English word. And that word is lazy. Um I think this sounds really exhausted. Um, and I know that that's such a cliche to say about this album. It's the tired album. They're worn out. You know, they're on the treadmill, blah, blah, blah. But this is the one song. Well, it's not the one song. I think it's maybe the song which most clearly emphasizes just how tired that is. I mean, as usual, we're not going to sort of drag over all the production details, but this was recorded at the end of uh, the album. And it shows there is no inspiration in this at all. Um, Ringo's trying his best with like, come on, George, one more time for Ringo and all this kind of, it is not working. And that is unusual. Um, it's a, it's a strange, I don't know. It's a strangely kind of flat recording. It's not really, nobody's giving it anything. And like, again, circumstances, fair enough. That's understandable. Um, but it just sounds flat. You can tell Ringo's not that used to singing it at this point. Uh, it used to be a Lennon song. And it's just very there. Okay, evidence for the prosecution, Millard. Um, I mean, you've you've raised the 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 point that Ringo shouts out, uh, "Rock on, George!" One time, it says, "Rock on, George!" One time for me. Okay, and and I would like to um, introduce a special focus on the words "one time for me," because as I've written down here in the notes, hang on, he then tells him to rock on one time again. No, surely it should be George rock on twice for me. And this time is the first time. And I'm going to tell you to rock on again uh, fairly soon. And, you know, the second one, I think you, if you listen to it, you can sort of hear him losing confidence in what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, one oh, hang on a minute. Um, yeah. I, look, everybody loves Ringo. And those people that don't know love Ringo don't exist as far as I'm concerned. Um, so... Please, Ringo fans, Camp Ringo, Ringo stands, whatever you want to call them, um, you know, don't get us. We're, we're not mocking Ringo, maybe slightly. Um, but to me, this is the epitome of the Vic Reeves Club singer um, when, when he's singing this. And for our American listeners, just type Vic Reeves Club singer here into YouTube, and I'm sure you'll come up with clips from... Uh, um, a um, very parodic um, game show called Shooting Stars, in which he does various impressions of, of what he calls a club singer. It's how it feels to me. It's, um, it's it's not a great vocal, and that's fine. It's effective, but it's it's reading them talk about um, who's singing it that I think is interesting because he talks about having his spot, 
and we always used to have his spot when when playing with with other bands. We we're always storming the Hurricanes. He would have his spot. He would sing some songs, and it's like they they'd need to work quite hard at making sure that he has a spot in this set. This set being the album. I think it's it's like a legacy of the Variety era rather than you know these days where you know the front man front person is the front person you know i, I, I sort of wonder if, if maybe this aspect of it has has died out a little uh with you know ringo and maureen tucker um i don't remember bruce and well actually no that's a bad analogy isn't it because bruce foxton did sing the occasional song with the jam anyway move on your turn okay uh, <laughs> well covered um yeah it's it's yeah firstly obviously we are a pro ringo podcast that goes without saying that's fine but nobody's perfect all the time and this is definitely one of the occasions um where where ringo is suffering it's interesting because the the version of this song which is on live at the bbc has lennon on vocal and it does make a difference it's not a great recording actually it's a very primitive recording um but there's a confidence in the way that um Lennon sings it that really gives the song a bit of a bounce it is much closer to the Carl Perkins original um and that's that's fine um Ringo isn't exactly replicating it but in some ways he kind of is like the shout outs and stuff that's that's in the Perkins original yeah um but with Lennon on vocal it does have a little bit more juice to it so it's easy to understand why up till that point it was something that was in the set a song that the, the group were obviously fond of but but it's just it it feels like a weird fit for for Ringo and like you're saying like oh you know he always had his spot but it's really telling that like this was virtually the last song recorded from the album and mm. that's how long it took them to get round to actually finding something for him to do it's it, again it it just leans into that idea that this was oh for God's sake can we please just get it done and get out get out of here um it's a very you know it's a very simple song but it's not. It's not one that, even given its simplicity, they can manage to find any real energy to put into it. And just, just like, yeah, it, you know, Ringo's vocal is just an afterthought in this album, and that that feels like a shame, and it shows. Anything to read into the fact that the um, the songs that Harrison and Starr get to sing on this album are both Carl Perkins covers? I think probably again it's the laziness side of things it's it's material that they are for i mean we know harrison is an absolute devotee of carl perkins yeah. so that's that's fair enough um uh but i think again it's just like reach for something we can do we don't have we don't have time to faff around we don't have time to make selections yeah. we don't have time to spend that much uh energy in terms of recording them grab it and go i i would be very surprised if there was much more to it than that yeah and i I, I think I, I probably wouldn't use the word lazy. I think I, I would rather go with rushed uh, and, well, and that okay. sort of, you know, desperation to um, to be fair. OK, that's great. So to make sure everybody has their their little spot, but also then um, in case where I were, if we haven't got the song, let's just um, let's just give them let's just give them these ones. Let's let's sort of keep them quite sweet that way. I find it really interesting that, um, of course, this was for Carl Perkins, this was the B-side to, to Blue Suede Shoes. So mm. they, they've picked art on uh, something that would have been owned by a significant number of people, at least in America, but not, of course, gone for the obvious one. Um, but, of course, both Blue Suede Shoes and Honey Don't are now owned by... Leans into the camera. Yep, MPL James Communications. Paul McCartney. Um, which I think is... Uh, 
um, you know, an interesting, I mean, I presume that means at some stage they might have been owned by Michael Jackson, who knows, but uh, now, you know, Mr. Macca um, owns all of these. He's like quite a lot of um, his his heroes of the early days. I think at some point it's probably worth, and I think maybe we'll, we'll save this for when we go on to um, um, the Harrison cover, the, you know, talking about the, the people who influenced the, the Beatles in particular and, and, you know, especially people like Carl Perkins and, and Buddy Holly that they, they went on to cover, who would have been more of an influence than some of the girl groups that they covered earlier on. Um, so cause they were certainly, I think, influenced by them as people as well as by artists, which, of course, is quite interesting because Carl Perkins is all about the songs and not about the image. I think he even made a comment himself that, you know, if he'd have looked like Elvis, he, he would have been a bit more successful. And, you know, if you you look at him, there's some great, great clips out there when he's in his, you know, early heyday, um, there's something about the image that doesn't look right. And, you know, I'm not being mean about people with oversized ears, I promise you. But then when you get into the 70s, and he's wearing those those kind of like satin silk shirts, and he's got the, the humongous perm, you think again, okay, image consultant required, um, and preferably not the same person that would have consulted with Jeff Lynn. It's funny you should say that. I was uh, I, I watched uh, a clip of ELO on Top of the Pops last night. I'm not sure that any man has ever been quite as hairy as Jeff Lynn in but he owns it. But he owns it, which is which is good. Oh yeah, yeah, he owns it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For 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 better or worse, um, it's definitely the second one of those options. Okay, I was I was interested that, that interested in to hear you mention that top of the pops last night. It was on um, BBC Four. I didn't watch the specific seventy one and seventy three shows. I did watch some of the you know the 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 great acts from the history of the top of the pops one that was on before it, and and it it made me sort of you know think of the fact that I've seen them all before. That there are only so many clips in the archive, and in every I don't think I saw anything that was was new, which is um, which is a bit of a shame. There must be more sticking around somewhere. Well, there there definitely are, but a lot of them have to be very carefully edited around these days for you know reasons. They do, um, they do. Yeah, but that's well, the presenter. That 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 episode um, actually cut the presenters out altogether. It was just like a compilation of of the songs. But um, yeah, okay. I mean that's the that's a shame. But anyway, I can link us back here. I can link us back here. So um, one of the other bands that was on uh, that particular edition uh, was T-Rex. Um, oh, okay. And it was the inevitable clip with um, Elton John playing piano on a song that does not, oh, in fact, yeah, have any yeah, piano on yeah. it. Like you say, there's only so many clips. Um, but one of the notable cover versions of Honey Don't is uh, by T-Rex. Um, and it's kind of interesting to hear because you would think it would be a very natural fit for a band like T-Rex. A lot of glam rock uh, is, um, I suppose, a bit like Britpop, very conservative in its musical output. It, it leans very heavily on that kind of 50s style. So a lot, a lot of kind of big glam songs um, don't necessarily sound like something that you would have in, in, the, in the 50s. Like you can imagine Blockbuster or Tiger Feet or something like that being sung in the 50s, but they're so very clearly and so heavily influenced by that kind of 50s, um, 50s vintage kind of uh, guitar riffs, the sound, the way that the songs are put together. And so for something like T-Rex, um, sorry, for a song like T-Rex to be... Uh, 
to, for them to be covering Honey Don't. It, it ought to be an easy fit. It's really not. It's a really clunky kind of um, clumsy version that they do. Now, to be fair, it's I think it's on the uh, Electric Warrior um, sessions disc, so it's outtakes. It's, it's not a it's not a full version, but they just can't really get behind it and listening to it again sort of contrasting it with the Beatles version does make it interesting because although I don't think much of this is a song um because you know it's not very good um in terms of their recording version they do manage to kind of get behind it it's it's not good in any sense of the word but they get behind it in a way that a band like T-Rex you ought to be able to get behind it effortlessly because it's pretty much in their in their genre, more or less, just just can't quite manage. Well, it, but I think it's it's testament to how much they all liked Perkins and all liked the song that all of them have recorded or performed it at some point. In fact, you can find yeah, a, 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 a clip online of of George actually singing it with um, um, Carl Perkins live on stage. So there's there's something in it that is. It really speaks to them. Um, and, you know, in fairness, I know I've mentioned the, the Vic Reeves Club singer thing, but in, in places, Ringo gives it a really good go. And, and But however, sometimes it wanders, um, and, and that's a shame. And clearly they weren't too worried about going back and fixing it because it was in the can, it was done, um, and we're therefore ready to um, to put the album out. And I'm just sort of thinking about it. I, I, I've not heard the, the T-Rex version that you've mentioned. But I can't imagine how uh, Mark Boland's voice would suit a song like this. It, it seems to be much more it really in doesn't. with um, a John Lennon. Um, you know, so I think on the spectrum, John Lennon and Carl Perkins, pretty much perfect. Yeah, Ringo Starr, less so. Ooh, I'm not even sure George Harrison's that that great for it. But then a long way down the line, you've got um, um, Mark Boland's um, soft intonation. But, you know, Okay, at least at least there, there's there's more people sort of expressing their their interest in in Mr. Perkins. Um, yeah, it's good. I mean, sometimes these people's influence doesn't exist in terms of record sales, but in terms of um, the way in which they are spoken about by other people, uh, and that's that's kind of the reminder. Say, for example, I mentioned once already, the Velvet Underground. Um, you know, the bands who were influenced by um, Velvet Underground were probably the only people that ever bought the records by the Velvet Underground. But however, they've then gone on and and, and influenced so many um, other people is to give them that significance. And, and I think, you know, if you look at the, the chart performance of Carl Perkins, although he may have had fantastic influence, you know, that it comes from the people who were influenced by him rather than because of him. And, you know, mention Blue Suede Shoes, for goodness sake. I have a funny feeling that there's a rather famous cover of that that probably earned him enough money for, you know, um, um, a trailer or two. Well, you never know in 1950s publishing deals. I wouldn't necessarily jump to that conclusion. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, secondhand influence is, is still influence. And, and I, given the kind of um, twee folksy stuff that Tyrannosaurus Rex used to do, um, it's hard to imagine that Carl Perkins would have been a direct influence, but the Beatles is easy to imagine. So yeah, I would I would assume that this is a very much secondhand influence. Yeah, it's sort of imagine that they're more influenced by Anthony Newley, but um, um, yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah. 
So, honey, don't. Honey did. Yeah. Honey did. Honey yeah. did. Yeah. Um, honey, s- s- score it. Oh, um, honey, I think it's a five. Uh, okay, a five. Um, dear, dear listener, if you hear any moaning I'll... in the background, it's the cat moaning at me because uh, it's just coming through the flap and it needs to get out the door on the other side, which is closed for recording purposes. So uh, sorry about the interference. <laughs> That's quite all right. Uh, I think in that case, for purely feline uh, welfare methods, I am going to give this a four and a half, uh, and I'll just jump into our usual episode closer. So uh, you can really get a hold of us. Uh, you can contact us by email. We are beetlestuffology at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at beetles underscore ology, and we are beetlestuffology on Instagram. And you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Also, please check out my other podcast, Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert, uh, which is apparently me, uh, go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher you are using so that more people can find the show. Uh, Next episode, we have some timpani, which is nice, which means every little thing. But until then... Keep listening.